0: I remember um, the first time I got my hands on Jedediah after he was born. Now it took a while, and i 've told you all this story before, but we had a lot of difficulties at his birth, and i didn 't get to cut the cord and they like took him away from us right away and he wasn't like he wasn 't doing anything. Um, he had a pulse, and that was it. so it took us a while for us to actually get our hands on him but it was right after his first bath. I was there at his first bath. And he loved every second of the water flowing over his head. And then they brushed his soft little head with a soft brush. And after he was done, the nurse showed up and showed me how to swaddle him. This is this scary? My kids hate these babies. So, like, have you ever, have you ever had to swaddle a baby? kids, have you ever seen a baby get swaddled? So I remember the nurse tried to show me how to swaddle. So she swaddled him. She got him all tucked up really nice and He was very comfortable. And then he, she took it all away and she says, all right, now you try. And so I tried and you're supposed to like fold it in some way and then fold it another way. And then you tuck it under, you tuck his little arms in like this, and then you tuck the feet in and then you wrap it around like this and Oh, my baby's going to suffocate. Right? That's how I learned how to swaddle. Of course, I did it, and what happened? It fell apart right away. I didn't know how to really swaddle him, but I remember the thought, like, like how could I have control of this little life if I couldn't even swaddle him? I feared being seen as a bad dad, um, To swaddle well, you have to do two things first, right? You have to get the folds right. And second, you have to be not afraid to get it too tight. Now, I did neither of those things. Now, Jed was a gift to us. He was wrapped up like one, right? We wrap up babies almost like they're a gift. We would use these baby blankets over and over again, wrapping up this little person because he was a gift, Now, there's this uh, ancient Japanese art called furoshiki, all right? Feudal lords in Japan needed a practical way to bundle their belongings when they went to the bathhouse. And so they developed this thing called furoshiki as a way to do this. Now, it eventually became a way where you would display, like, your family name and crest on these, like, gift wrappings. Now, Josh is going to Pull some of these up so you can see what furoshiki looks like. Now, on these cloths, they would would identify who they were. Now, over the centuries, people adapted furoshiki into a beautiful mean of presenting gifts. The cloth is folded and tied in deliberate and creative ways. It invites us, the receiver, to pause and appreciate the thoughtfulness behind the packaging before opening it. What's more, unlike paper, the material can be used over and over again, which made Firoshiki popular and eco-friendly. Jesus came to us in Firoshiki, wrapped in clothes. This is what Luke tells us, right? We read, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now swaddling clothes, archaeologists have found tiny carved figurines of swaddled babies that date back thousands of years before Christ. Now swaddling clothes were probably not clothes at all, but bands of cloth. Babies would be wrapped. So basically, if you took this little blanket and you cut it into strips, this is what would happen with babies. They would wash the baby after giving birth to the baby, then they would anoint the baby, In powdered salts. And then a baby was laid on its back diagonally, and a square sheet would be folded around the baby, and then would be tied with ribbons of cloth. The baby wrapped, limbs, arms, and legs would be unextended. And the binding would prevent the baby from kicking and scratching itself or rolling over, and the cloths would be used over and over again. Now, parents believe that wrapping infants tightly in place helped their limbs to grow straighter. For a baby to be unswaddled suggested it was abandoned and uncared for. In fact, the Bible talks about that in Ezekiel 16.4. Now, while it's popular today, swaddling fell out of fashion in the 18th century. Physicians largely believe that the tightness of the binding was not healthy. Babies needed to be able to move somewhat freely for development. Now, what we know now is that swaddling provides a sense of security to an infant. So Mary swaddled Jesus. Now, this morning, for all of us, what was the significance of this swaddling? Now, Luke carries this a little further. He says that swaddling along with a manger, would be a sign to the shepherds that what? They found the newborn king. Now, one commentator suggests that priests in the temple would set aside strips from their used, embroidered liturgical vestments, and they would give them as a gift to the newborn Davidic king. If this was true, then Zechariah, who was a priest, and his wife Elizabeth, these were Jesus' uncle, they would give these strips to Mary, the mother of God, as a gift to the king for his holy birth. Mary might have even had these precious bands with her on the census trip to, to Bethlehem in anticipation of the coming of her child. Luke is doing something more than just that here. He says, this shall be assigned to you. How could swaddling clothes be a sign if all babies were wrapped in them. A baby in a manger, yes, that would be a sign. But what of the bands of cloth? Now there's a tradition that the shepherds, who in the hillside were not too far from Jerusalem, would provide the lamb without blemish for the temple sacrifice at Passover. The first newborn lamb to protect it from blemish, as required by the law, would be wrapped in swaddling cloth and placed ironically enough in a food trough apart from the other other sheep. Now if that was true that would be a sign, right? That these shepherds who did that for the temple sacrifice would find the savior Christ the Lord wrapped just like they wrapped that precious lamb after its birth. It's interesting, right? The sign for a king then became swaddled clothes and mangers, a king's robe and a king's throne, baby blankets and a feeding trough, the humble beginnings of King Jesus, not palatial halls, but a stable, which was probably more like a cave than a barn. But do you see in all of this the subversion, the earthliness, the ordinariness of this? The news comes where? To who? Shepherds. These shepherds become the court of the king, the humility, and all of this serves to point to a God who enters into our boundedness. God wraps in the fullness of humanity, ordinary human life. The conditions of his birth are a metaphor for the life he will live. As the Son of God becomes flesh and bones, he experiences what? Unfathomable limitation on his godliness, right? When when God becomes human in Jesus... The universe closes in around him. Jesus becomes somewhat, there's a mystery to this, restricted to time and space. He has a human body, like being swaddled. It was the tucking in of the almighty, almighty God to some unnatural and yet naturally small dimensions. The eternal God bound to humanity on earth For 33 years. His limitless power becomes restrained, at least in a sense, and hidden. He enters into limitation, his humanity. Paul will say, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. His power is hidden in the weakness of his flesh. Now this is the sign given to the shepherds. The baby bound in swaddling clothes, lying in an animal trowel. Ordinary clothes in a lowly throne. God clothed in love. And this love is manifest in all the ways. God meets us within our limits of being human. Now think about this. This comes from a guy named Jeff Peabody. He's a a writer. He wrote an article for Christianity Today. And he said this. Today, um, I struggle with anxiety and OCD. I would experience brain lock. My mind would get stuck in this endless loop of thoughts and fears that most people could dismiss, but I couldn't. And the energy required to manage my headspace would leave me drained. I felt boxed in, bound in one place, and the world had closed in on me. I I couldn't express myself fully or freely. I was constrained and immobilized. And then I heard this text in a sermon. Jesus tightly bound in the limitations of being human. Still God all the way, but man all the way too. Which the Bible will say meant knowing knowing what all the humans know, experiencing the the same desires that humans experience, the same weaknesses. He said, Jesus meets us in the limits of being human his swaddling reminds us of our own it it may be an anxiety disorder it may be a stifling experience of at school a job where you never where you just feel used it could be a broken family system where you, you can't get out of it past choices where consequences seem to choke and bind you, addictions that you feel powerless to control, an inescapable reality of sin, and the fallout in a broken world. The psalmist would say this about that. The cords of Sheol, or the grave, were coiled around Jesus. Peabody goes on, this, The simple image of Jesus, God's gift to us, being wrapped in clothes, comforts me with this powerful truth. He understands the bindings on my mind and soul as only someone who has a shared experience can. The concept of God with us took on a new and profound clarity for me. Now, Psalm 91.3 says, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. It's a vivid picture of the rescue, a bird being released from a bird catcher's trap. And then in verse 4, he says, how does God do that? He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. In other words, the psalmist says, God becomes the bird himself, stepping into the trap set for us. And saving us from the inside. He joins us where we are caught. Subjects himself to the confinement of being human. This is the heart of the incarnation in the gospel. And it began right here. With swaddling clothes in a manger. God wrapping us in his love. Sending his son to be one with us. This was our Lord's First binding, one of love. Now, even better, the manger isn't the only time we find God in furoshiki. Luke does this really cool thing throughout his gospel with clothes. Now, I, want, I don't have time to dwell on it this morning, but I want to make a few connections, right? All through his gospel, there are these references to clothes. Luke 6, 8, 9, 10, 12, 15. And then we come to Luke 23. Jesus is arrested. Now, Matthew will say he was bound by cords in the garden. Now, this is the second binding Jesus experiences, right? King Herod is interrogating Jesus after his arrest. And we read, The king and his military men made fun of Jesus. They called him names. They spit on him. They slapped him around. Finally, King Herod had someone go get an elegant robe, one like a king would wear. And Herod wrapped Jesus in the robe. And then they laughed at him, mocked him, hit him, and sent him back to Pilate. Another binding, this time a robe. Not a true royal robe, but a mocked royal robe. Here, Jesus is smitten, stricken, mocked in his humanity, accused, and cursed. Why? For us, in our place. Bound by the weight of sin, he goes from Pilate's chamber to a cross. And at the foot of the cross, soldiers gamble for his clothes. The binding of Jesus in death and shame, dying unclothed, dying unswaddled on a cross. The Passover lamb, bound, swaddled, now sacrificed and unbound spread naked on a cross. And then in Luke 23, later, the third binding of Jesus. The bands that wrapped him in a funeral shroud. The man, the, the, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in the stone where no one had ever been laid. At the end of his earthly life, Jesus, our gift, was laid in the tomb, carefully, lovingly wrapped in the swaddling clothes of death. But those grave clothes couldn't hold him, right? In the very next chapter, Luke says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away. And when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise.'" And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping, looking in, he saw what? The linen cloths by themselves, and he went home. Marveling at what had happened. You see, Mary removed the first bands from Jesus, and the executioners removed the ropes of the second binding that he might carry the cross of salvation. And on Easter Sunday, the glorified Christ himself removes the clothes that bound his body around a funeral shroud. Jesus was swaddled in death, nailed to the hard wood of a cross, but the grave clothes would not cover him, and the cords of death would not hold him. The pharaoh's shiki had to be unwrapped. The gift had to be opened. This time around, the story ends with the image of the swaddling clothes being left behind in the tomb, set aside by the risen Jesus. The gift is now fully ours. The wrappings discarded. He broke the power of the bindings that held him in a death grip and emerged in freedom. God clothed himself in love in the perfect person of Jesus and through his life, death, and resurrection, we too are given new clothes of love. Now some of you this morning might have unwrapped clothes. And when I was a kid, I wasn't exciting. And then I got to be Judson's age, and I was mad if I didn't get clothes, right? The humble baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Through him, paradoxically, peace and goodwill is brought to all through his very own life, his own sacrifice. God went from a cradle of wood to a place of sacrifice of wood. A lamb slain. God, he who was swaddled by his father on the high robes of perfect righteousness and love. And thank God he exchanged those clothes for our filthy ones. Our filthy rags of unrighteousness, as Isaiah says. Which could only swaddle us in grave clothes. So thank God he was swaddled in death and clothed for us. Now, Luke ends this way. In Luke 24, he says, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with a power from on high. He says, wait, disciples, wait. Wait until you are swaddled in my power. Now, what is Jesus referring to? Well, King Jesus would be ascended. And ruling in his stead, he would send his emissary, the Holy Spirit. And we're told in the Bible, the Spirit clothes his people with power. Now, it's a power that is still somewhat not yet, but it isn't all not yet. What I mean is, we don't just get resurrection clothes when we're raised out of the grave. We're given new clothes now, and those clothes are the love of God, the righteousness of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And at one level, this power is the power this morning, to be here, to hear and respond to what you hear from the gospel. It's a power that makes us alive to the truth of the story, the truth that you need new clothes. You've swaddled yourself in your own righteousness, you've thrown off the need for those clothes because you've decided to live free But your freedom has just become new clothes. And you need freedom from that. And the Spirit is the power to be free and to be clothed in Christ. Now at another level, Paul will say, this power that you were clothed in by the Holy Spirit is a life of repentance and belief. To get dressed in Jesus, to put on love, which binds, we're told, everything together in perfect unity. The power that clothes... You is the power to believe, to repent, to keep believing, and then to be a witness to the world that you are bound to Jesus, united to him in love. And his love, sacrificial love, is your way of being swaddled in the world. So I want you to know this this morning, church. You are swaddled in the life of Jesus, tucked in held, so much so that what's true of you right now, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are tucked in in Him. You are swaddled by the love of God, the righteousness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 53.5 says, By His bruises we are healed. Literally, by His bindings we are set free. He promises a glorious freedom from our own swaddling of sin and death. Those clothes will be set aside. Those restraints will be loosed. And one day we will leave all that binds us behind. And on that day we will fully take in the great gift of God himself. No longer veiled in any kind of wrapping. So be swaddled in this. You've all been given a garment of immortality. So much so that even in this land of mortality, you remain immortal. Your life is swaddled with Christ and God. Let's pray. God, the beauty of the sign of Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, that sign is for us this morning. It points us to this deep reality that we have been clothed in Jesus and his righteousness and his love and his power united to him in such a way that as you see us now, you see us hidden in Christ. And so I pray this morning that Whatever things might be binding us, I pray that you remind us that in Christ we have been set free, that we are bound to him in such a way that we are free from the the swaddling clothes of sin and death. And so help us to walk in that this morning. Help us to remember we are tucked in by God through Jesus. And help us to believe We need you, God. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.